This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am this week's host, Claire Watkins, and I am joined this week by captain of the ship, head writer, editor extraordinaire, Jeff Kasouf. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? I haven't worn the captain's armband since high school. (laughs) Well, I'm giving it to you today. All right. We are here today to talk. Uh, we're still in NWSL preseason. Um, there are a couple Champions League results. There was a Continental Cup in England today. Um, but we're going to start with the one big piece of news that dropped this week stateside, which is that the NWSL did announce the full schedule for this year's Challenge Cup. Um, it will begin on April 9th. It's a 21-game tournament. We have two divisions, a West and an East, each with five teams. Uh, the winner of each of those groups after a round-robin group stage will go straight to a final at a not-yet-determined location, likely hosted by someone, question mark, on May 8th. That game will be broadcast on Big Network CBS, uh, so most of the other games will be on Paramount Plus, which is the rebranded CBS All Access. And there are a couple games on the CBS Sports Network as well. Jeff, question number one. How do you feel about the spread of the balance between weekend and weeknight games here? We're looking at a lot of weeknight games, right? I feel like you're leading me on, Claire. I know <laughs> I know we've talked about this a little. Um, you know, I think it's tough. I mean – in some regard, yes, it's spread out over a month. You're playing four games. So in theory, you could do this on weekends exclusively. Um, I can only imagine what the scheduling challenges are. I think we don't have a regular season schedule yet because MLS takes priority in so many of these venues. And then you have other venues like in Tacoma and Kansas City now where you've got baseball and even USL. And, you know, I don't know that NWSL is necessarily a priority. So, I think that's probably the biggest consideration. Um, you know, we did this for the Challenge Cup part one uh, last year, and it was a little bit of a grind, but I will say, and I think you probably appreciate it, I mean, there's only a few really late kickoffs. So I know that Challenge Cup schedule last July felt like pretty much a guaranteed every two nights was like a 4 a.m. shutdown for me, and I was very miserable about that. So yeah. Um, at least the times are okay, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, my take on it and yes, I, I would say that I, I only just kind of shudder for anybody who's trying to catch every single game. Um, however, some things that I think are interesting on this is, um, in terms of people catching up on stuff, I do think that since all of the games are on Paramount plus you do have a little bit more of that recourse to watch stuff after it's happened. Um, so it's a little bit more like, you know, soccer on demand in a way. 
Um, but I agree. I think that if you think about the timeline of the Challenge Cup um, being announced at the end of at the end of 2020, I think it was November 2020 that they announced um, the Challenge Cup was happening. They needed to get that ball rolling because they needed to possibly have a single site if if uh, if they thought that it wouldn't be safe to play in home markets. They needed to announce it early so that teams could plan. They could get back in preseason nice and early February 1st, all that sort of stuff. So it makes sense to me that maybe some of that stuff got announced before venues were finalized. Um, And so scheduling was maybe a little bit more difficult. Obviously, right, you say MLS takes precedent. You have some people who are competing with USL teams. Um, You know, we even have Sky Blue. They're going to be playing their home games at um, Montclair State again, which is where they played during the fall series because Red Bull Arena didn't make sense for for that particular period of time. Um, But, yeah, I think it's about as good as can be expected. Uh, I am interested to see in terms of the momentum building, what that's going to to mean for the league. Because um, Lisa Baird spoke to you, Jeff, about wanting the Challenge Cup to be the beginning of this story with the Olympics, right? You have a lot of these American players fighting for Olympic spots. They're playing in the Challenge Cup. Um, and that is the momentum that they're trying to build. Uh, I think that it might end up being a little bit more fragmented than that in terms of games being played on weeknights and also U.S. availability. Um, we know that the U.S. women's national team will, there's, the, you know, the, the Challenge Cup is starting during an international break. April 9th is in the middle of an international break. So this is not U.S. soccer pulling players for fun. This is an actual international break. And um, that is going to affect availability for probably the first two games of, of many of these team schedules. Uh which I think is both good and bad because you don't have that kind of star power to start and you've got teams probably stop starting with their starting 11s and whatnot, but we're getting to see some of that depth again. Um, so just kicking that back over to you, what are your thoughts on that U.S. non-U.S. balance for the Challenge Cup and what that's going to mean, mean for like the, the story that the league is trying to tell here? Yeah, well, I saw Alex Morgan mention this in some uh, media clips that the Orlando Pride sent out this past week. And, you know, she said, I mean, seems like it could have been avoided, right? I mean, basically, that starts smack in the middle of the international break, which ends four days later. So, um, again, I think we can all empathize with the scheduling complications and, and so many things that we just never necessarily see on the outside. But, you know, the idea that could this have started even one full week later? And maybe that means, you know, we know the first games in Sweden, both games in Europe for the U.S. So maybe those players still are not going to rush home and play in the opening game of basically a friendly tournament. But it, it certainly gets them back in market. Um, you know, for example, Wednesday, April 14th is a CBS SN game, Sky Blue at Orlando Pride. And there you have you know, an Orlando pride team with plenty of international talent, including us players on a national network that will not have, you know, the best available product in terms of player availability. So, you know, I I think that's a valid point and um, something that we talk about every single year. And to your point, Claire, I mean, this one was actually avoidable in the sense that this is not a randomly scheduled us friendly. This has been a FIFA date on the calendar for some time. So, um, you know, I don't know that a one-week difference, especially with the extended season into late November, 
would have made a huge difference, but I know these are, you know, calculations or, or um, these schedules are generated with, I guess, like a million permutations and there's so many different factors. Yeah. Um, I agree with a lot of that. I think that I do think it was, it was something that maybe you could cut it from two games missed just to one, maybe by starting the, the, the challenge cup a couple days later, um, from my perspective, I'm sitting in Chicago. Uh, the Challenge Cup is being kicked off by a rematch of the um, 2020 Challenge Cup final between Chicago and Houston. Uh, it's going to be a very different Chicago team and a very different Houston team uh, than we saw actually at the end of the Challenge Cup because Houston, you know, they're going to be missing their Canadian internationals, Rachel Daly. They have two players in the American player pool again. Um, it's just going to be a little bit different, except. Actually, I the this is this is an interesting thing. I think that uh, your point about Orlando is particularly interesting because, um, yeah, they're going to be missing a lot of their top line players, but that team has amassed quite a few really capable, um, just young American players. They, if you look at the the lineup that they posted today as we're recording on Sunday for their second preseason match of the weekend, that is a good group of kind of young, untested, you know, footballers that are going to get opportunities at the beginning of the Challenge Cup. And I think that the soccer products could still be pretty high, but yes, it's not going to have that star power, and it's not going to be quite so Olympics uh, based, or the uh, the conversation is not going to be probably surrounding the Olympics quite so much uh, as much as we might have thought earlier. Um, So getting into these two divisions, we have an Eastern division of, we have Orlando, Louisville, North Carolina, Washington, and sky blue. We have a Western division of Houston, Chicago, Portland, Kansas city, and OL rain fudging the geography a tiny bit to make that work. Um, which I'm just, I'm just going to hit, I'm going to hit you with some just very quick, uh, way too early predictions, thoughts. Do you think that there is a deeper, tougher division here than, than the other? Um, I think the West is interesting, um, in the sense of Houston being a team that you wonder what are they going to do to follow up their breakthrough act of 2020 Chicago, always, a competitive team, uh, Portland, I think, um, it, this is a conversation I was having last week, I think feels like a clear favorite in terms of a holistic 2021 picture. I don't know about this tournament per se, but just from a talent level. So I, I think you have three teams right there and then maybe balanced out with the idea that, um, I think Kansas city is, is a bit of a question mark and certainly the rain. I'm still kind of curious what, what that team's going to be um, in the longer term, even, and never mind the shorter term. So, you know, I think that's an interesting. I think both of these sides, uh, both of these divisions, have a couple of teams where you you wonder about. But there's probably more question marks actually in the East than there are in the West in terms of like overall quality. Because I mean, we've talked a little bit about some serious questions about Louisville. We have not seen Orlando really other than a few fall games, you know, in a year and a half. And that was not a good situation at last time we've seen it. So, you know, two right away right there that I think you're, you're kind of wondering about from the get-go. Yeah, I think um, 
I'm of two minds about it, I think, in that we have big question marks uh, across the board. And I think you and I will get into this a little bit more in our second segment as we talk about some of the more general previewing that we've been doing for 2021. But it is, it's not easy to make predictions at this moment, considering what soccer product we got in 2020 and the off-season moves that we've seen. Um, you know, I think that for me, I agree that I think that you would imagine the Western division has more depth. I also think a lot of those teams though, in the West are going to be affected by not having their international players for the first two games. Um, and I think that could end up with opportunities for some momentum to build some gelling, some, whatever you want to call it in the East. Um, I think a team like North Carolina, I don't really know what to think about North Carolina right now. Uh, they're obviously still the team that, you know, ruled the world in 2018 and 2019, but they're also not. And I think that we, I'm excited to finally start seeing some games. I'm going to be honest. I'm not, I don't love previewing this kind of stuff because it's very difficult to make predictions based on a lot of work that is sight unseen. Um, but I think that, Yes, I think that the group stage in the West is going to probably, I'm not even sure more competitive is the right term, but have a little bit more depth to it. However, I think if a team like Washington in the East can get rolling, get some confidence going, put some results together, they might be the scariest team to play in the final. Um, So now I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to flip this again. Uh, way too soon. Quick predictions. Who's winning the West? Who's winning the East? Mm. Wow. We did not, you did not prep me for this. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing it at me. Um, I do like Washington. I think that's a, a good call in the East. And I do think, I mean, just from a pure talent level, I think Portland in the West, maybe that's a team that needs a little bit of time. And traditionally I think has needed time to to figure out exactly how that talent clicks. But I think a Washington-Portland final would be intriguing. And I do actually wonder to the point, um, not to skip ahead to a championship, although we're talking about it, of just kind of the the formatting being essentially a round-robin tournament that I think it should be slightly less fluky because we are not going to have a quarterfinal and semifinal single elimination round. It's going to be who's going to perform in their group stage matches and then advance from there. So I, I think that actually... Um, as much as it's a short tournament and basically a preseason tournament, if we're being really honest about it, um, I think that that actually takes away some of the potential for really silly things happening because this is not like July where we had eight teams and they all advanced and then we just hit reset and the group stage didn't matter at all. In this case, the group stage matters plenty. And I think maybe you actually tip a hand to some of the more experienced teams in that sense. Right. Yeah, I, I'm curious. I would say I agree. I think Washington, even in just the fact that they want these expectations, I think that they want to be a team that is talked about going into this stuff. They even said that before the Challenge Cup last year, um, probably equally, if not more so true this year with the added pieces that they've got with, you know, Emily Sonnet and Kelly O'Hara. Um I would say in the West, and I'm not unbiased, but I feel like I have some logic behind this. Don't count Chicago out, actually. Um, I think that Chicago is a team that perhaps 
might be set up to weather those ups and downs of players out and then players back in a little bit with a little bit more of an even keel than Portland, which is they're deep, but they're running with some somewhat of a small roster right now. Their preseason camp is not a ton of people. This is the same conversation we had before 2019 and Portland did amazing during the world cup break in 2019. So I'll probably be eating my words, but there is a little bit of a question mark of what is carrying that team for the first two games. Um, And then do they, if they do become formidable, will it be too late to get the results? No, that's um, fair. That's fair. I think, yeah, to the point we just made, if that, that's a fair number of internationals, probably the first two games for them that are on the sideline. But right. opening with Kansas City, I think, you know, that's that's manageable. That's true. But again, <laughs> the second game, for not to get too into the weakness, <laughs> the second game where they travel to Chicago, that is on the 15th, which is Definitely still, I, I'm almost positive that's going yeah. to be too soon to have anybody back. So um, if we're looking for a division, but you know, that West is tough. I think Houston will also be be a major player there. Um, but yeah, I think that that game, that second game for both teams, uh, Chicago and Portland playing against one another should hopefully be, uh, be a bit of a firecracker. I like it when those two teams play each other early in the year. It tends to get a little bit uh, wacky. Um, okay, so then... You say Portland, Washington in the final. So are you predicting Portland Thorns, Challenge Cup winners going into the regular season? You know what? I've been really high on the spirit for a while. So I am going to go with a spirit taking the Challenge Cup prediction here. Although I'm probably more confident in the spirit being in it come October, November, whether that's Shield or you know otherwise. I mean, 16 playoff, I would absolutely expect them to be in it on the playoff front, but... I'll take the spirit. Yeah, I like that. I think that I like that just for the narrative's sake. Um, I think that one of the best things about 2020 was that the Challenge Cup winner was a first-time trophy winner. I think that's awesome. I think that that's great for the league. I would love for that to be the spirit as well. Um, I think Portland, if, if Portland wins the Challenge Cup, this could definitely turn into a conversation of, a one team dominant situation for the entire year. Um, those stories are interesting. And I, I, uh, you know, commend any team for pulling that off. We've seen that with North Carolina in years past. Um, but just for terms of having multiple things to talk about, I think that I would like first and foremost for the challenge cup winner, the shield winner and the, and uh, NWSL championship winner to all be different teams. If we can, this is, you know, quote unquote, the most competitive league in the world. I would like that to be true on the top line as well. Um, and, and yeah, I'll go with, I'll go with spirit too. I, I, uh, again, <laughs> kind of voting now voting against Chicago, but I, I would like to see that for the spirit because I also think that that would mean that their plan is working and that will just be good for, for the soccer product. Um, trying to think if I have any other any other thoughts about Challenge Cup. I mean, we've kind of discussed it is going to feel kind of preseason-y. Um, the good news is that these teams will have quite a long preseason going into the Challenge Cup, but due to um, issues still with the pandemic, which is ongoing, they haven't had the highest level of competition in their preseason. Uh, we see teams playing college t- teams. We see NWSL teams playing high school teams sometimes. Um and so I do think that these first couple of games are going to be still kind of getting the wrinkles out. But once we head into the uh, the second the second half of the tournament, I think that 
it could turn into something really nice off the benefit of, uh, of the depth work that teams have done in 2020 as well. So yeah. Any final challenge cup thoughts? Well, I think, I think just to the points we've made here that, you know, it'll be interesting. I think the challenge cup and what we're talking about in terms of predictions even will be affected slightly by international call-ups because, you know, on those sort of fringes, um, I think if we go by the past couple months, you know, a Jane Campbell, Christy Mewis have been in camp, and I guess maybe we should assume that they would be back in a camp. Um, but, you know, and Andy Sullivan, who you wrote about quite well very recently, and, and we can talk about uh, maybe after this, but, you know, as an example of do we get – I don't know that we're really at the stage with the Olympics closing or we hope they're closing in um, to, to see any real surprises on a call-up front – but that sort of very back end of the roster, some even maybe it's even somebody, you know, an injury then causes somebody else to be called in from elsewhere. That's where, you know, maybe they're not going to be hugely essential to the U.S. on that trip, but their absence in the Challenge Cup would be Sullivan, for an example, you know, sorely missed by their club team. Yeah. And one, one final, and this is kind of, kind of Challenge Cup news, kind of not. Um, one final thing is uh, – and maybe this is a good, this is a good way to pivot out of this is, so it is, it's the middle of March, 2021. We've hit kind of the year mark of, uh, of the pandemic things. This we're hitting, it was this week last year where things really started to close. Um, the world kind of stopped. We've seen an announcement for a lot of these challenge cup teams that they're going to have some fans, uh, even some teams that have completely been playing, to nobody uh, for the last year. I think we uh, we're going to see sky blue have some fans at Montclair state. We're going to see OL rain have some fans at Cheney field. I believe I, I saw a news report that the timbers and the thorns have at least applied to be able to have fans as I understand it here in Chicago. Um, and I think probably elsewhere, the way this works is usually you have to put together a petition or some sort of comprehensive plan that you then present to your local government and they decide if they think that um, that can go forward. Chicago has announced that they are not going to have fans, though other sports teams in Chicago are doing some low capacity stuff. Both baseball teams are going to have fans for their opening days. Uh, So this is cautious, you know, cautious optimism that by the regular season, we might be able to have some of these teams begin to recoup some losses, which is great. Um, and in, invite fans into the stadium. So I guess final, final thought, Jeff, on what you think the NWSL should be striving towards in terms of maybe fans by the middle of May. Um, and yeah, just what you think, how, how the NWSL is kind of pulling out of this dark era. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm not hugely pro fan. Let's rush back to it. Um, you know, which I say that, and it's that doesn't. You know, that still affects us. I mean, that's the fan is the fan experience or, or fan return is kind of somewhat related to a media return, I think. But um, you know, I'm sure that I will get a some kind of outreach from somebody who would tell me this is wrong. But the idea that a few thousand, and, and this is assuming that a few thousand people want to do that, right? I mean, I saw I, I, Houston was made the big announcement that their capacity of their 21-some thousand-seat stadium has been approved to be 6,500, and 
okay, well, you know, that's a team that's still trying to get to the point of filling the six and a half thousand under normal circumstances. So I don't even know who actually is showing up to these. And I think the idea that a couple thousand people is going to make any kind of a real dent in sort of a, a bottom line on a team, does it help? Is it a step that you have to take toward normalcy? Yes. Um, but I'm not so hugely keen on, on rushing that. Um, but, you know, with that said, I think you read things like maybe by June, you're looking at sort of mass vaccination and things like that. Then, you know, in that case, if, if you're at, I think that needs to come when, you know, a lot of the other sort of non-soccer things feel like they are in place. Yes, I, I definitely agree with that. And you make a good point, which is um, we don't know what attendance numbers are going to look like post-pandemic. Um, definitely a halt in the, the rising numbers that we saw at the end of 2019. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right that we, I think from what I've heard here that in Chicago, they would consider, you know, again, a 5,000 5,000 per game average to be, you know, steady, steady success for 2021. Um, I don't know if it's harder to get up to that point due to reluctance to go back to a game. Um, and, and it's going to be very interesting. I'm, I don't know. Do we, are we going to hear announced attendances again? Are we supposed to talk about whether they're good or bad? I, I'm not sure. And I think that that is still some of the ambiguity that we'll be seeing in certainly in the early part of this season and possibly throughout the year. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that's all the schedule talk. I think we've well exhausted this topic before we can see some games or do any real team specific previews. Uh, but we will be back in just a moment for the second half of the equalizer podcast, where we talk a little bit more in depth about just some of the writing that Jeff and I have been doing, focusing on some processes and some people. So stick around. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back to that in a minute, but just want to make sure that you're aware of our other podcasts from the Equalizer network. Kicking Back, it's one that I host, and each week we talk to personalities from across the sport of women's soccer, coaches, players, executives, plenty of great guests throughout season one from U.S. coaches, Vlatko Anonofsky, Jill Ellis, to players like Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn. NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird. So many great guests. And we're coming up on season two pretty soon, and you are not going to want to miss what we have in store for you. So go ahead and check out Kicking Back. If you're listening on a podcast platform right now, you can find us there as well. We're on all the podcast platforms, and we're looking forward to another exciting season of really in-depth interviews and fun interviews with our latest guests. That's it for me, and let's get you back to the Equalizer podcast. All right. Welcome to part two of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. I'm joined by Jeff Kasouf. Before we kind of dive into the second half of our discussion here, just to run down some results of the week, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and list the new UWCL draw that we got this week. These are the quarterfinals, where these matchups are probably finally starting to get a little bit less lopsided. The the round of 16 had some some tough, tough results for certain teams. So... We have Chelsea taking on Wolfsburg. We have Barcelona taking on Manchester City. We have Bayern Munich versus FC Rosengard. And Paris Saint-Germain 
did not play the second half of their round of 16 tie because they are dealing um, with COVID protocol. And that is also why they did not play Lyon this weekend in their league game, but they are likely to advance to the quarterfinals to play against Lyon. So we might see quite a few very high profile PSG Lyon matchups in the upcoming weeks. Um, The other big game this weekend was the Continental Cup in the FAWSL. This was Chelsea versus Bristol City. That game was not close. Chelsea won six to nothing on a Sam Kerr hat trick, and they got the backflip that they have been waiting so long for. Um, so those are all just kind of the big pieces of news. Also want to remind everybody off the top here to like, and subscribe to the podcast. If you can give us a rating, it helps us out a lot in helping people find the pod. So we're not going to talk about any of that. Actually, we're going to flip over to some of the writing that uh, Jeff and I have been doing some of the longer form stuff that you can read on the equalizer. If you have an equalizer subscription, Uh, Jeff in particular has been putting out a series called forwards, which basically he has had some longer conversation with uh, a number of the U S women's national team forward pool specifically about, you know, where they are uh, going into this Olympic year, but also why they are the players that they are, what they are trying to do. Um, And so, yeah, I'm just going to kick this over to you, Jeff, talk a little bit about the process of putting this series together um, and what you've gotten out of it. Yeah, I think it's been fun. Um, and I think we've gotten some pretty good feedback, you know, even um, on our kind of general player profiles of late, which, you know, include yours. Um, you know, I think this series in particular was something that started basically a year ago, over a year ago. And I tried to be transparent with that from the start. And and we, I thought, you know, we thought it'd be cool to kind of take people behind the the curtain a little bit on the, the writing process and even just the idea of kind of profiling players. And um, it was something that was going to be an Olympic preview of sorts, looking at some of the forward line. Um, you know, I think I'm sure a natural question is like, why not every single one of them? And part of this was kind of dictated by various availabilities of like people actually available when I was working on it, followed by availability even of players in the past year even. Um, And we just, you know, I had actually gone down to Orlando right before everything shut down. And and I think about that a lot, even recently was thinking about some of the sort of close calls I had traveling during the 2020 She Believes Cup um, as as COVID was kind of still unknown, but definitely here. Um, And had talked to some different a few players on the U S squad and, and was going to use that as an Olympic preview Olympics obviously get delayed. And then um, I had this kind of throughout 2020 of like, when are we going to use this material, which is very good material. And and I think thankfully too, I've had things that I've spent, you know, a 30 minute interview with somebody and something changes and you just can't ever use it, which that really stinks. It's happened before it happens to everybody, I think, but these were pretty evergreen and the Olympics are these supposedly happening this summer and not much has changed really with these conversations because it's not, it wasn't like a moment in time angle as much as it was, who are you as a forward? What makes you tick? What got you here? How do you train? Um, and I think, you know, happy with, with how they came out. I think honestly, just happy that we finally used them period um, and, and ran them because that's, you know, something that was just a constant, like, when do we use this? And part of that was the U.S. didn't play for eight months. So, um, you know, it was an interesting sort of process of 
How do you sort of be transparent about these conversations taking place a year ago, but still being relevant? Um, some minor updates to them since, obviously. And um, even like, you know, I even messaged the U.S. soccer comms team ahead of time, like, we're going to finally run these. So in case like, you know, I'm pretty sure these players are busy enough to they might read something and be like, when did I do that interview? <laughs> um, so, you know, just to kind of give that kind of a heads up and um, yeah, happy with kind of the idea of just diving a little bit deeper. And I think that's where, you know, you've been doing that as well with, um, I, I don't think nuance is always very appreciated on the internet. I think we see that even with the stuff that we work, you know, usually the stuff you work the hardest and longest on is is often the stuff that maybe gets, the least amount of views or the the least appreciation at some times because breaking news is always the stuff that seems to go viral or people get into. But um, the idea of kind of being able to dive in and sit down with somebody for a half hour to talk about like what makes them them and not necessarily like a tense sort of, are you going to make the Olympic team? But, you know, just what do you, you know, what got you here? What do you, how do you view this position um, I think that was, that was fun. It's, it's always fun, I think, to kind of dive into that because, and, and this has come up in different topics, I think even over the past month or so, as fans have kind of reacted to journalists in this world where like a fan can kind of view a press conference straight through now with U.S. soccer putting them on the app and everything's on Zoom. And, um, you know, the idea that like we do have something of a responsibility to at least attempt to know who a person is when we cover these players and you're not going to do that in these piecemealed conversations, but you have to at least try and not just treat them as robots. So I think that's probably what we've really been trying to do. You know, me, you, um, I think John did that recently with the Whitney Engen piece, Dan's been doing it and, and everybody on the site. Um, we've got some other stuff coming even from Australia soon. Um, you know, I think that's what we really try to do is, is give you a little bit of a, a look at the person. Yeah. So let's, my question, whenever I read a piece, like you've put one out on Lynn Williams, one on Carly Lloyd, um, a very good one on Kristen press. And maybe that's, that's what I want to focus in on a little bit because that press under that press piece is, is really great. And part of the reason why is because Kristen press is really good at talking about her process. It's a very considered thoughtful experienced process, right? She's been doing this for a long time. And so she did a great job of being able to articulate the things that she thinks that she does well, that she works on, why she, she moves the way that she does and, and that sort of thing. And I think you got similar elements with Williams and Lloyd. And my question for you, cause you've been talking to players for a long time. Um, is it always easy to, or is it sometimes difficult to get them to go to that place of really digging into themselves. And I think that there are probably some players who don't think about that stuff quite so much, though I think you're probably going to find that less with forwards because forwards, um, there's a huge mental side to that game. Um, but yeah, so I guess my question is, did you feel like these interviews were particularly good at getting the players to do that? Um, and what do you do if you're talking to a player who's having trouble getting into that headspace <laughs> um I, you know particularly good i guess i would like to say so sure um i don't know if that's you know it's not all 
a pat on the back to me. That's obviously, you know, to the degree of, I think there's a lot that goes into it. Like, no, it's not easy. Um, I think, you know, one of the, the two of the bigger elements I think are timing for one, um, which is something that I think you have to learn. Um, I think like younger, or maybe just say like inexperienced writers, like you want to come into a training camp and you're going to get there the day before the game and you want to have a deep conversation, right? Well, back to the person thing from a player perspective, I mean, even from a logistical perspective of trying to request something like that, it's not going to happen. I mean, they're in game mode. They are busy. They've got a full day of prep. You know, those are not things that are going to happen. So you need to try to do that. For example, which I did in this case during a training camp five days before there's even a game. Um, I did that at the world cup too. And I think that's, you know, you, you have to know when to do things. I mean, it's the same as a mix zone. I think, um, these are things that are probably like nerdy for, for us and, and maybe even, I don't know if players think about this, but you know, the idea of like, what do you ask in a mix zone after a terrible loss or, you know, anything like that at a, at a world cup, because on one hand, it's your only shot to ask something, uh, at, in some way. And on the other hand, you know, there's just, it's some people, I, I know <laughs> some writers are like, it's, you know, this is, this is what being a pro is. And, you know, there, there's like a total removal of human element, but like there's stuff you just don't ask, you know, in certain scenarios or certain settings. Um, so I think timing and then, you know, relationship building, obviously I think is, is part of it. And I think we're, you know, there, there is a benefit of us at large doing this for a decade plus. I'd like to think anyway. Um, so I think those are, are two big things. No, it's, it's not easy. And yeah, I think in terms of if somebody's having trouble going there, I think it's really, you know, making somebody comfortable talking is, is obviously important and, and maybe just rephrasing too. Um, I don't know. I can't think of a specific example where there was trouble going there so much as, um, you know, there are times where it's just more of a topic doesn't match personality in, in some way. Like you, you want to write about something and you think it's interesting, but you want to talk to somebody about it. And like, there are players who hate talking about like, or I don't want to say hate, but they just won't go super long or deep on tactics, let's say. So you just have to know that, right? I mean, that's part of that relationship process. And there are players who uh, maybe will talk about that tactical stuff all day, but they're not going to talk about personal life. You know, you just have to kind of know um, where you're going with that. But me, you, anybody down the road, I mean, you know, nobody gets it right every time, I'd say. So... Of the, uh, there was also I the also the reissue of the, the Alex Morgan piece that that came out in 2019. So we've got Alex Morgan, Lynn Williams, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, four very different players um, whose styles are very different and who where they even are kind of in their careers are very different. Do you have a favorite anecdote from those conversations? Do you have a takeaway from those conversations that you would just want people to hear? Um, maybe to give them a glimpse of, of what those are, what you're reading when you read those. Um, yeah. Is there any, any main thing that you feel like you learned or a favorite anecdote from, from those conversations? Um, you know, I think what was cool was to your point about like, um, what do you do if somebody just isn't 
kind of clicking on the the answer. And I was encouraged that I actually intentionally opened, I think every conversation, each one with what is a forward? Like that was my question. <laughs> Just see what, like see where somebody takes that. And um, to each person's credit, that was like explored in depth from the start. And that actually served as the jumping off point from there to to get into basically everything else that followed. So, um, you know, I think that was cool to just say, to give it, just as you would in maybe any topic, like present a very super general question and it almost kind of sees like where does somebody's mind go in, in that sense, because it points you in a certain direction. So I think that was cool to, to see um, kind of what avenues that opened up and then, you know, maybe a little bit of the individual training as well. I think that obviously went into really super detail um, with with Kristen Press and how she kind of trains individually, which uh, we didn't even know at the time. I mean, I was literally asking them about off seasons, which are still in that place where, you know, you have that kind of two month gap between the national team game and January camp and there's no NWSL, but all of that has changed since obviously. I mean, off season was long in 2020. And then now, you know, for press in particular, that didn't exist because she's in England and she's mid season. So um, I think the sort of individual training was interesting. Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's like bonus takes, there's stuff that didn't get used just trying to see, talk about like celebrations and um, players you're watching and who you're watching and film and some stuff that just, you know, maybe wasn't as, super interesting, but, um, I thought it was, it was kind of funny to, you know, cool to ask about kind of made a funny, cool to ask about, um, sort of celebrations and, um, because it, it is in some ways, um, I don't know, is there really like a chief crazy celebrator? I think we got to get like, we need to up the celebration games in yeah. the U S NWSL sort of world because, I'd like to see something a little crazy and, and all of these, I mean, I think all three players are, you know, score in abundance and they're all kind of the, you know, smile. I've been here before kind of celebrators. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that I do think a little bit, we have some goal scorers who score so many goals that they almost uh, feel, you know, you, they're almost like, well, I've done it too many times. You know, who's great for a celebration though, despite how many goals she scored is Megan Rapino. Uh, <laughs> she is, yeah. she's the, she's the goat. She's the goat of the, the goal celebration. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe to, to wrap this up a little bit, to talk a little bit more generally going into this year, we talked about in the first half of the podcast, how it's hard to dive into expectations or things that we think are going to happen considering how little soccer there was in 2020. There's not a lot to base opinions on or off. Um, But I think that that is a good opportunity. And I've been doing some of this too, to just try to talk a little bit more about who these players are, what they do on the field in a holistic way with the evidence provided. Um, Because I do think that sometimes with, sports writing you can get very caught up in as you said the things that people are interested in as well they should be are breaking news new things results what happened in games um it's a continual cycle 
of, uh, of new, new information, which is what makes the world turn here a little bit. But in the, in the idea of a little bit of a stasis before the challenge cup kicks off, um, it is nice. I, I enjoy being able to sort of point at a player and say, I know that, you know, that this person is good, but I want to explain why exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that helps with the conversation when we're talking about, it just elevates everything, elevates the discourse, elevates the dialogue. Um, so hopefully we'll be doing more of that in 2021. Jeff, do you have any, uh, any stuff planned for the, for the writing half and in terms of continuing that series or even just still moving in that direction? Yeah, I think we want to do more of it. I mean, you know, you and I have been talking about that and I think we should talk briefly too about, you know, you've been doing that with the, the Crystal Dunn story recently, Andy Sullivan. Um, I think that there is the element of why a player is good. Um, you know, we know a player is, is good, right? What a, what a word, like we are writers, we swear. Um, but you know, why and how, and I think, you know, maybe that I thought was maybe of all the things with, um, that maybe from that series to wrap that up that I was happy with, I guess, was with press trying to describe why she's uniquely good and she scores unique goals, particularly for the, the, forward set that the u.s has and it is that short one step no step shot that generates power and bend and everything else and actually talking about that she literally trains that she trains shooting without a step um, shooting around you know a mannequin using the defender as a shield describing that in depth i think that was really cool and that's the kind of stuff that that we want to try to to bring. And similarly, whether it's from the player themselves or us observing, um, you know, I, I think the idea of putting into perspective, like, I think we've heard plenty recently, right. That Crystal Dunn is exceptional. Um, and she is, and, you know, maybe we've heard that so much that writing uniquely about her in this exact moment is difficult, but you did in the sense that, um, you phrased it, I should pull it up in front of me. Maybe you have the exact sentence, but there was one that stood out to me where you said, you know, she's so exceptionally talented in such a way that she can do this in these two uniquely different positions that maybe actually it's a detriment because we can't actually qualify it. Um, You said that a lot more elegantly than I just did. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that, right. I think that, Yes. So yeah, not to, not, not to make this too, too long, but yes. So I, I wrote a piece about Crystal Dunn. I wrote a piece about Andy Sullivan. I have a couple other players that I would like to do a similar thing with. And yeah, so just on my end, two things, thing number one being, um, I have to admit that a lot of my ideas towards players frequently, um, or at least for some of them, like for Andy Sullivan in particular, um, it's going back to the memory of seeing them play live. I'm lucky enough to live in an NWSL market. And so I do get to see these players play in person. And um, there's nothing quite like seeing actually what a player is doing because they're doing it right in front of you. And you can see all the moments where they're off the ball. And I think that I wanted to mine that a little bit more before we get in again, until results start coming in. Um, And then from the crystal Dunn standpoint, like you said, uh, She's a player that we talk about a lot on social media and she's really been a consummate pro about being very available to speak to media, certainly in early 2021. 
Um, and so I think people have done a great job of getting her words out there and representing her thoughts and what she wants us to be talking about. But um, I'm not sure those pieces always go the extra step to say, well, yes, here is, here's what Crystal Dunn has said about herself. And we should always want to be representing that. But let's take this next step and say, well, here's kind of what she can't say or what you should say about a player like that. Um, taking something like Crystal Dunn being very open about the fact that she prefers to play up front, um, but is consistently put it outside back. And why is that? And what is the context of her place in history? And I do think that sometimes flip side to, to your point, Jeff, is that it's easier to do that without speaking to the player. Sometimes it's good to sit down and try to encapsulate something without asking the subject to do that themselves. And um, so that's what I'm trying to do. And the early half of this year is um, make some statements about a player that that player might not be able to make about themselves. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, so good stuff, good stuff uh, going already. We'll have more in the future. Um, But we'll go ahead and wrap this up for this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I want to say a special thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Purdy, as always. And we will be back with all of you next week. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash savings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on root metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.